Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 20. Hello, I am Ryan Gray, your host, back with you for another session of the Medical School HQ Podcast, the podcast about medical school, where we take you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. We're here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. Before we get started, I want to ask if you find our podcast helpful, if you're subscribing to us in iTunes. I encourage you to go into iTunes and leave us a rating, uh, hopefully five stars if you find us useful, and a review. And what that does is that allows other students out there to see us. The more ratings and reviews we have, the more visible we are in iTunes. So if you find some use out of these podcasts, if you can do me a favor, I would greatly appreciate it. Just a reminder, if you're listening to this before May 2nd, 2013, the Princeton Review still has $250 off of their MCAT Ultimate Classroom or Live Online course. If you go to princetonreview.com, check out with one of those courses and use the promo code MEDSCHOOLHQ250, you'll get $250 off. In today's podcast session, I have an interview similar to session 18. Today, I have an interview with the National Health Service Corps Scholarship Program, the people behind that. Uh, Session 18, I had an interview with a recruiter for the Air Force HPSP program. So both of them are scholarships that you can apply to to have medical school paid for. You come out having some time commitment to either the military or to a health professional uh, shortage area, as you'll learn in this interview today. Uh, But both of these programs will pay for your medical school. They'll give you a monthly stipend. They'll pay some of uh, the costs that you have through medical school. So 
If you haven't heard the Air Force HPSP scholarship interview yet, you can find that at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 18. And for anything that we talk about in today's session, you can find at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 20. Like I said, National Health Service Corps Scholarship has been around for a while, since 1974. Uh, Originally was created to address the shortage of primary care physicians, especially in rural America. But one thing you'll find out during the interview process is if you accept this scholarship, you're not committing yourself to living in rural Oklahoma or rural wherever. Pick somewhere in the middle of the country where most people think of farmland. You're not committing yourself to working in that area. The National Health Service Corps has these sites that are pretty much everywhere, and it's based on uh, kind of an underserved population, not necessarily rural. It's, It's based on uh, income levels and the number of Medicare, Medicaid patients in an area. So don't think that uh, you're, you're committing yourself to a, a life in the middle of the country if, if you're a East Coaster or a West Coaster and want to stay on the coast. We start out with the question about exactly what the National Health Service Corps Scholarship is. Well, the National Health Service Corps is a program that was authorized in 1974 in response to the shortage of uh, primary care physicians, especially in rural America. Um, So to address the issue, uh, the National Health Service Corps uh, came into being. It initially started out as just being uh, a cadre of commissioned officers, Uh, And it was a scholarship program first. It was not a loan repayment program. Eventually, in the 80s, uh, it morphed into and included the loan repayment program. But the purpose of the program is to support primary care providers um, as they practice in underserved areas. So the National Health Service Corps Scholarship Program provides support for students that are pursuing a degree in the health professions. Um, And so the eligible disciplines are internal medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, dentists, certified nurse midwives, nurse practitioners, and physician's assistants. And so once students uh, that are matriculating or have received a letter of acceptance to matriculate in one of those uh, programs um, and they decide that they do, in fact, want to practice in an underserved area, uh, they are eligible to apply for the National Health Service Corps Scholarship Program. And I'll talk a little bit more about the application process, but in a nutshell, For the scholarship program, we uh, pay for uh, the full tuition and fees. We also pay for other, what we call other reasonable costs. So those are books, um, microscope for dentists at some of their um, instruments and things like that that they need. In addition, scholars get a monthly stipend, and I believe it's $12.89 a month. Uh, The scholarship in and of itself is two parts. The stipend is taxable, 
the payment for the tuition and fees and other reasonable costs is non-taxable. So we make the payments uh, directly to the school on behalf of the scholar, uh, but they, in fact, receive the monies for the other reasonable costs, uh, and they receive their, their stipend payment. Um, when you apply for the scholarship program, you're able to select the number of years you want to receive support from the National Health Service Corps. And that is uh, one year and a maximum of four years of support. In return, our scholars uh, have committed to practicing at a National Health Service Corps approved site that's located in a health professional shortage area for a minimum of two years. So for each year of support, uh, you owe us a year service uh, with a minimum being two years. Okay. So if if I took, you just said that I can select the number of years that I want support. If if I'm selecting one year of support, I owe two years on the backside. That's right. Okay. So it's worthwhile it's to apply for at least two years. It's yes to get you might as well get you two years of support because you're going to owe two years of service. Okay, so just to kind of give a brief synopsis on what you just talked about, you you apply once you're accepted into medical school, correct? Right, or in a pro one of the other disciplines. No, it's not once you accept your you apply once you're accepted. Um, we have some students that apply, and they're still waiting for their acceptance letter, but you cannot be considered unless you can demonstrate that you've been accepted into a program. Okay. So you can start the process beforehand. And, exactly. And for, for those listening, the, the National Health Service Corps, like you said, it's, it, it covers uh, PAs and physicians, osteopathic physicians, allopathic physicians, nurse midwives. So it covers a bunch of different uh, professions. But for, for our listeners, I'll, I'll say physicians and medical school as just the kind of generic since that's our audience. That's right. And for those who are interested uh, in practicing as an internist or a family practice doc. Correct. So what happens if I have all good intentions to be an internal medicine physician, I accept the scholarship, go through three years of medical school, and I have a huge change of heart, and now all of a sudden I'm really interested in surgery? That's a good question. Um, there are penalties associated with the scholarship program. So uh, if that were the case, then the scholar would have to give back um, all the money that we've given them. So that's the tuition, the fees, the other reasonable costs, and the stipend. Uh, and I have to tell you, it's, it's quite a bit of money. I would, um, I would assume so. And, and then there are penalties on top of that. So one of the things that, that we say is that this is a wonderful program. It's wonderful in, the, in respect to it serves a, a great purpose because a lot of our scholars are practicing in areas where there is limited or no access to primary care. The other reason why it's a great program is it's kind of a Cadillac of scholarship programs. 
Um, and so, you know, to pay for full tuition and fees and other costs and a stipend. Uh, and I also have to add for our scholars that have completed their postgraduate training, so it's not just residency, it's also um, if they pursue, uh, if they were selected to become a chief resident and or pursue a fellowship. Um, once all of that is completed, we pay for that scholar and their family, if they have one, to move to their practice site. Now, that's only a one-way payment. We don't pay for them to come back. So when you look at all of that and all the benefits of the program, um, we want to make sure that a student is sure about what they want to do. Now, I misspoke a little bit uh, earlier, and I just said internal medicine and family practice, but we that also includes psychiatrists, pediatricians, and OBGYNs. Okay. So if a person thinks they may want to do surgery, um, usually we just suggest that you not apply to the scholarship program until you're sure uh, that you want to pursue primary care. Okay. And if I could uh, clarify something, you, you you did mention fellowships. Does if if I do internal medicine and I want to do a fellowship in cardiology, is that considered still primary care or no? No, um, we have, there, you, as you know, there are a lot of fellowships and sometimes you can even craft your own fellowship. Uh, but all of the training has to be geared towards um, uh, training that provider to practice in primary care. So cardiology, uh, uh, emergency medicine, none of those would be approved. Okay. The, the, the selection of a shortage area, the, the H, uh, HPSA you mentioned, Health Professions Shortage Area, mm-hmm. h- how is that defined? And as an applicant to the scholarship, do I have any choice in where I want to go? Okay. So the, H, the Health Professional Shortage Area, we call it a HIPSA. Um, there is a, an office actually here in the federal government in this agency that uses um, a, a, some data sets to determine whether or not an area, which is typically a county, um, has a shortage of health care providers. So they're looking at birth weights. They're looking at morbidity, mortality. Um, they're looking at the time it takes. Uh, your average person to drive to um, uh, a healthcare facility. Uh, they're looking at socioeconomics. So they're looking at all of that demographic data, uh, including insurance um, and those types of things. And they come up with some calculations and determine whether or not that, that area is has a shortage. A HIPSA area is given a score from 0 to 26, where 26 indicates that there's the highest need, um, and 0 indicates that while there's a shortage, it's not as, as great. So th- that determination is already made. For our purposes, we have sites that are approved by the National Health Service Corps that are located in these HIPSAs that meet our criteria. So it ha- has to be an outpatient setting. For the most part, we do have one exception. It has to be an outpatient setting. 
that health facility has to uh, have a sliding fee scale and accept any and all comers. Uh, because remember, the purpose of the program is to increase access to care. So our uh, sites all are located uh, within a HIPSA. Um, areas are rescored every three years. So a scholar may come in as a as a as a first year medical student, uh, and they know of a site that they're very interested in, and the HIPSA score is high. But what we tell scholars is, by the time you complete all of your training, that HIPSA score may have changed um, because the areas are looked at every three years. So, and to answer your other question with regards to do scholars have a choice in where they go, uh, in large part, yes. So, when our scholars are in their very last year of training, be it their residency, uh, be it if they're a nurse practitioner, their last year in school, uh, or if they're in their fellowship, they enter into what we call a placement cycle. That's when they are given one-on-one -on -one support with staff that we have in our regional offices, which are located across the country, and they actually help them um, find a placement site. So they give advice uh, if a scholar says, I want to work at a healthcare facility uh, that has a team-based approach to care, and I really like HIV-AIDS, and so I'd like to work in a clinic that has an HIV-AIDS clinic. That person will help them navigate. Uh, well, one, they help them narrow down the region that they want to live in, and then the state, and so on and so forth. So we give that one-on-one -on -one support. Most of our scholars are very, very proactive. Um, and we have a website, our National Health Service Corps Job Center, that has a listing of all of our current sites and their HIPSA scores. Now, there may be sites that aren't approved, but they are approvable. So, being that they, they meaning that they are located in the HIPSA um, and they meet all of our other eligibility requirements. If a scholar finds a site like that, we will work with that scholar in that site to get that site approved. So our scholars, for the most part, uh, they find their own sites. Once in a blue moon, we will have a scholar that just can't seem to land on a site. We work as much as we can with, with the scholars. Every now and then, we will uh, place a scholar at a site. But I think we've only done that once or twice in the four years that I've been here. Okay. Now, for... For most people listening, and for myself even, when I think of a health profession shortage area, the first thing that pops into my mind is the middle of nowhere, Kansas, and a, an old country doctor wearing a cowboy hat and and living in the, the town center and knows everybody and does uh, does everything. But I'm actually on the website now kind of browsing through these HIPSA sites and it it's not necessarily the case. I'm in Boston now, so I'm looking around Massachusetts, and there there are sites that are near big cities. That's right. Okay. Yes. We, we have sites that we have urban sites. We have rural sites. Uh, we have sites that are located uh, in frontier. Um, we have sites that are located on reservations. Uh, so they, they really run the gamut. We have specific 
site type as well, and you'll find that on our, our website. Uh, but they are located everywhere, and it's interesting that that, that a, a rural area came to mind because um, I'm a podiatrist by training, and before I came into the government and was really involved in public health, if you had said to me a, a health professional shortage area, um, I would think Medicaid population. So we get that as well. Um, our, our populations are either on Medicare, Medicaid, or they just don't have any insurance. And, and we also have uh, patients that are treated at our facilities that are what we call the working poor. They work, but they just don't have access to health care. Uh, so I think that our sites are located, um, they're everywhere. And so there's something to, to pretty much suit everyone unless they really want to live in the suburbs and practice in the suburbs. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about how competitive the scholarship is. Uh, the the pre-med world is inundated with the, a competitive kind of nature. And so it's always fun to hear about how competitive it is to get this scholarship. Um, it's a, it's a very competitive program. Um, we receive thousands of applications and over the past two years, we've made a little bit over 200 awards. Um, what we're looking for in our scholars is one, uh, they have to demonstrate that they can complete uh, um, a program um, because we invest a lot of dollars. We want folks to be able to pass the, uh, the boards and we want them to be able to graduate uh, and, and, you know, pursue a residency program. So the other thing, even more important, is we want folks that have um, a demonstrated commitment to practicing in underserved areas. A lot of our scholars have done volunteer work at a community health center. Uh, they've done, uh, they've gone on missions to third world countries, uh, healthcare missions. Um, you know, they, they've done it. It's not just talk. They can demonstrate that they've, they've been in those communities, they know what it's like, and that's what they want to do. Okay. Um, we do give a priority to students from um, disadvantaged backgrounds, and that could be an economic background, that could be a social background, um, we have guidelines on the website with regards to that. For example, if a student went to school and less than, you know, a good percentage of the, of the students didn't complete high school or on reduced lunch, those are the types of things that we consider um, have coming from a, a disadvantaged background. Um, so that that is our priority, but. Even with that, uh, our scholars are really, uh, they're, they're top-notch, and I'm not just saying that because they're our scholars, but we have some really, really great people in the program, uh, and they're just clear about what they want to do. We don't have a lot of people now who kind of waffle back and forth or, you know, they go on rotation, they do a plastics rotation and say, oh, I want to do this now. Um, and that's because up front we do look for those students that have 
uh, been exposed to underserved communities, so they're very, very clear about what what practicing in an underserved community um, is like. Okay. You mentioned about 200 scholarships. Is that every year, about 200? Right, and that's dependent upon funding. Um, when I first came here, I think we made a little over 100 awards, uh, but now with with um, increased funding, we've been able to increase the number of of scholars, um, and so there's there's no guarantee that it's it's going to remain at that amount. Yeah, and is that two hundred total? So a hundred four years, and then fifty three years. No, it's every year. Okay, so there's two hundred just. 200 four-year scholarships, 200 three-year scholarships? Oh, no, no. Um, no, if you, once you're accepted into the program, any scholar is able to be supported for one year or four years. So that we don't, we, we know when scholars apply, they ask for X amount of years. Uh, but when you're in the program, let's say a first-year medical student says, well, I'm not quite sure. I'm only going to ask for support for two years. Towards the end of that second year, we will put a call out and say, hey, do you, are you going to be requesting support for your third year, your fourth year? So once you're in the program, if you decide that you want to be supported those uh, remaining years, we will do that as well. So that is not a factor in determining the number of awards that we make. Okay. What... Or is there a a minimum MCAT score or GPA? You had mentioned that that your applicants and your your scholarship awards uh, students are top notch. Um, do you have a, a breakdown or a, a a cutoff for MCAT or GPA scores? So no, we don't have a cutoff. But when I said top notch, uh, in my mind, I'm just really thinking about their commitment to to practicing in an underserved area. Um, so no, there's there's no minimum GPA. That we don't ask for MCATs. Uh, so we don't go by that. One of the things too that that people should keep in mind is we as a program don't select the scholars. We, it, once we determine that that, scholar, that applicant is eligible, we send all of the applications out for independent review. So, and each application is scored by our independent reviewers. That's so interesting. So, we don't determine. It's an independent process. Interesting. Are, mm-hmm. are you at liberty to kind of divulge that scoring process at all? Not really. <laughs> okay. It, you know, it's a, it's like it, with anything else. It's a it's a rank order. Um, every applicant has a score, and we fund by rank order uh, because we really rely on our reviewers to do a good job at looking at that application and all of the supporting documents and making a determination. Uh, and we have several reviewers per application. Okay. It's it's very similar to the military scholarship, it sounds like, which, yes. which I applied to and received, obviously. Yes. You'd be one of our top-notch scholars. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, a student applies to 
to the scholarship and only gets into a Caribbean medical school. Is is that okay with you guys? No. Unfortunately, um, one of the criteria requirements is that you have to attend an accredited program here uh, uh, in the U.S. Okay. Now, with the boom, thankfully, of all the new medical schools opening, is it okay if that school is in the process of getting their accreditation, or do they have to be fully accredited? Yeah, no, they have to be fully accredited. Okay, so they can't go to a new school that's just opening? No. Okay. What, you had mentioned a little bit, you just mentioned the fact that you really don't have a minimum MCAT score, minimum... GPA. Can you talk a little bit about what is included in the application that that you're looking for? Sure. So uh, in past years, what we have asked for uh, is completion of the online application. Uh, the applicant has to submit two letters of recommendation. Um, one from someone in academia and the other uh, is just from somebody that, that, that knows you, that has worked with you, what we call a non-academic letter of recommendation. Uh, if they are from a disadvantaged background, they have to produce um, the documentation for that. We also ask that they submit a transcript uh, and their... Uh, their CV and oh that's and we have three essays that they they need to complete uh, and the last thing is we ask them to submit a copy of their the school or the school that they uh, plan to attend their current uh, tuition and fees okay uh, do you have an age limit no, I don't even think, do, I, no, we don't look at the age. And to be honest, I'm not even sure if we ask that on the application. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, okay. A while ago, you had mentioned commissioned officers as as part of the graduates from the, the scholarship program. To, to me, when I picture a commissioned officer, I, I see somebody in uniform. Is Are, are these physicians that are working, are, are they working in a in a military uniform? Well, right now, um, th- that's how the program actually started, but that's not exactly how it is now. So for our scholars, we have, we do, we have several scholars that are interested in becoming a commissioned officer after they graduate um, and after they complete their, their residency. Um, or postgraduate training. So you can become a commissioned officer, but if I can go back to the site, type of sites that are approved by us, um, federal, federal sites qualify uh, as a National Health Service Corps site, but it's very limited. And so it's limited to our uh, federal prisons uh, and then immigration and customs. So a scholar can become commissioned, but then they would be uh, uh, required to practice at one of those types of federal sites. 
Okay. Oh, in Indian, in Indian Health Service. Okay. What other kinds of information do you feel like students typically need or are missing when they're applying and, and you have to send back an application for more information? So we don't send back an application. We, we usually don't have too many problems uh, with the application process in and of itself. Uh, I, I think we've been able to, to work out a, a pretty good application process. I think what takes people the longest uh, is to get their letters of recommendation in order. Um, so that's why we, we try to tell people if you can get a jump start on that, it would be really helpful. Uh, one of the things that we strongly, strongly, strongly encourage people to do is to read the application and program guidance. That guidance document tells you basically everything about the program. It gives all the requirements. Uh, it tells you what you are actually committing to. So we, we strongly encourage people read the guidance. We like I, I think I had mentioned before, we, we hold a technical assistance call um, after the application itself has opened, and we're going to do that again this year uh, so that we can talk about the same types of things we're talking about today uh, and then answer questions that, that students may have. A lot of the questions that we get uh, really is just trying to wrap their heads around the scholarship and how it works because it is different from uh, your typical scholarship program where we say, okay, we're going to give you X amount of dollars and we give it to you and then that's it. The way that this, the, the scholarship works is part of the monies go to you, part the tuition and fees are paid directly to the school, um, and the student receives a stipend. You receive that type of support as long as you are under contract. Once a student graduates, when they're in residency, um, or if they're a chief resident or if they're a fellow, we do not provide financial support during that period of time. We support you in the process if you're having a problem, uh, and then once you enter into the placement cycle when you start looking for a site, but there's no financial support during that, that time. Um, while the, the scholar is in school, we have developed a really robust uh, uh, initiative to help scholars prepare for practice um, because a lot of our scholars in the past have told us that, uh, quite honestly, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. So we have podcasts, we have webinars. Uh, we also have a, a mentor program where we walk through the different site types. We walk through the different types of practice. Um, what's expected of you your first day? How many patients are you expected to see? How can you, once you get to the site, negotiate and navigate so that you can quickly find out, you know, who does that site refer uh, to for GI, issues, GI problems? Uh, you know, where do you order supplies, those types of things, so that it's not overwhelming. We also get into um, some of the social issues uh, that come into play when you're treating communities, uh, when you're treating uh, uh, patients in underserved communities. 
there's a big social component that if you've been trained, uh, especially um, um, in a in a in a rural area, I mean in an urban area, or maybe even in a more affluent area, you may not have come across some of those issues. Um, so we're doing the best that we can. Um, to adequately prepare our scholars and to make sure that whatever site they select, it's a good fit for the site and for the scholar. Okay. Once a site is selected and the scholar starts working at that site, who's who's paying the um, salary? Um, the site pays the salary, and that's a good question, and that's a question that we get all the time. While we Stay with you because basically once you're a scholar, you're always a scholar. And I just have to add this. The the Surgeon General, um, Dr. Regina Benjamin, is a National Health Service Corps scholar, or she was a scholar, but she still considers herself to be a scholar. So while we stay with you, our actual financial support, like I said, stops when you graduate. Um, we support you in finding a site we teach you the things that you need to look out for uh, when negotiating your contract and those types of things, but we are not responsible um, for that. It's, it's on the scholar. Okay. Let's talk briefly, if it can be brief, <laughs> it, <laughs> about somebody who is already a physician and didn't know about the National Health Service Corps scholarship prior to going to medical school or through medical school and learns about it as a resident and they're doing a family practice residency and, and they're interested in it then, what are, what are some of the options that they have for the loan repayment? Right. So they have the option of applying for loan repayment. Uh, for loan repayment, again, um, our participants practice at a National Health Service Corps approved site. Uh, they can practice uh, full-time or half-time. And there are other requirements, you know, like every six months, their supervisor has to certify that they are practicing full-time and or half-time. Um, for loan repayment, uh, the priority is for those goes to those uh, priority funding goes to those providers that are practicing in higher needs areas. Um, and so, again, when you look at the HIPSA scores, that can tell you how how great the need is in that particular community. So once a person uh, is accepted as a, uh, receives a loan repayment award, they are able to stay with the National Health Service Corps and receive financial support until they don't have any, uh, any more eligible loans. And as long as they continue to practice at a National Health Service Corps site. Okay. So it's almost, it's almost a win-win. They, they continue to work at, a, at obviously a, a site that's approved, get whatever salary they're making there, and they're getting their loans paid back. That's right. Is it? Do you cover all the loans, or is it a certain amount per year that they give you in commitment? Right. Uh, it's the way that the, the loan repayment program works is your initial application when you first come into the program 
It's a two-year contract, and like I said, it's it's half-time or, or full-time. Um, and so the the commitment is for those two years. After that, uh, a participant is able to come in every year for a one-year contract, and there are uh, caps or limits on the money. So for your initial contract right now, if you're practicing at a site that's located in a, located in an area with a HIPSA score of 14 and above, um, and if you're practicing at more than one site, if all of those sites are located in high needs areas, uh, then the maximum amount for loan repayment is sixty thousand uh, dollars. If we find a person who is practicing at a site that has a HIPSA score of 13 and below. Uh, then the maximum award amount is $40,000. Uh, and then the monies decrease by year. So when you come in back for that third year, the maximum amount is $35,000, and then it decreases every year down to 15000 and then it stays level. Okay. Wonderful. So that's a, a great way to kind of help help the burden of student loans that we all have. Absolutely. Yeah, and while you're doing something good for the community as well. Obviously, that's that is uh, uh, something that doesn't need to be said. If you're listening to this podcast, then hopefully you are interested in the the grand the grander journey of uh, helping a fellow man. Obviously, being a physician, but also helping the underserved population. Well, folks, that's the interview for today. I hope you got some very useful information from the folks over at the National Health Service Corps Scholarship Program. They currently have their application season open. It started March 31st, 2013. If you're listening to this in the future, check their website. Again, the links to their website and everything else that we talked about you can find at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 20. Also in the show notes, I'll have links to their Twitter feed and Facebook feed, and I'll have their phone number up there so you can get a hold of them any way you want. I hope the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. Don't forget, if you have any questions, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash feedback and submit any questions there.